to episode seven of the Gluttons for Punishment podcast, or GFP, a Toronto Maple Leafs and NHL podcast hosted by Michael Lapore and Anthony Bruno. He's Lapore. I'm Bruno. Thank you so much for listening and watching us on YouTube as well. If you're new to the show, we would really, really appreciate it if you subscribed because that will help us as we continue to bring you some great Leafs and NHL content. So... As of Sunday, February 21st, 2021, the Toronto Maple Leafs are still in first place in the NHL standings with 30 points. But that's not it, because they also lead the NHL in points percentage. They lead the league in goal differential. They have the best power play in the NHL, and they are also first in goals per game. This team has been unbelievable, and we will get into the week that was and give you our thoughts and opinions on everything that went down with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But before that, it is time to welcome in my partner in crime, Mr. Michael Lapore. Good to see you, Bruno. It's been a great week. Leafs, four games. Uh, We got some restrictions taken off us here in Ottawa, so we're allowed to go in the sunlight again. Grab a cup of coffee, go to a store if you want. So Leafs grab seven of eight points and we're allowed to see the world a little bit. So no reason to be in a bad mood. How about you? Thank goodness, man. And yeah, you you said it about the restrictions. It's the same thing over here. I can finally get a haircut for the first time in like three to four months. So I'm fired up about that. Anthony Bruno's stoked about getting his haircut. Oh, I can't wait, man. I'm going to get a haircut. The Leafs are first in the NHL. I mean, this is just sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, man. Yeah. It can't get any better than this. Throw in some body waxing as well for our Italian bodies (laughs) if we can. Might as well. Let's let's, let's just do the works right now with the Leafs playing this well. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Give it to me. All right, man. So let's get into the week that was with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, yeah. what can you say? I mean, it's you start off the week with just an absolutely brutal game. Yeah. We all know the Leafs go up 5-1 to one on the Ottawa Senators on Monday night. They blow the 5-1 lead. The Senators win 6-5 in overtime. Just a complete disaster. Leafs Nation just ready to lose their minds, thinking this is the same old Leafs again. But guess what? It's not the same old Leafs because on Wednesday night, the Leafs bounced back one of their grittiest wins of the year. Freddie Anderson was great, making 27 saves. The Leafs win 2-1. to And of course, Austin Matthews scored his 14th goal of the season, his third goal of the week. And then we go to Thursday night. The Leafs lay an absolute beatdown on the Ottawa Senators, winning 7-3. to Matthews with another two goals, two assists. So at this point, he had 16 goals on the season. Marner had four points. Thornton had three points. Nylander had two points. Tavares finally scored his first goal in seven games. And Michael Hutchinson got the win. So the Leafs bounced back with two very nice wins over the Senators. And then, of course, they finish off the week Saturday night against the Montreal Canadiens, beating them 5-3. to Austin Matthews just continuing his ridiculous play with another two goals. So he finished off the week with seven goals and five assists for 12 points in four games. Unbelievable. Just ridiculous. Mitch Marner as well, eight points in four games. Those guys have been incredible. Um, But Lepore, 
at the end of the day, the Leafs, after that embarrassment against the Senators, finished the week 3-0-1. Yeah. So uh, give me your thoughts, man. I, I need to hear it. It's kind of nice that we can look at the week now from an overall scope rather than recording minutes or hours after that loss to the Senators. Because I think you hit the nail right on the right on the head when you said that this isn't the same old Leafs where, you know, we see these bad results and we have major fears. It's going to string into their head and it's getting going to bring upon a losing streak. But this team bounced back the next day with a really, uh, really solid defensive effort, winning a close game. And then, of course, they won by the football score the game after that seven three. So it was a great turnaround. I mean, from the logical perspective, we can look at those three games against the Senators and say, we got five out of six points. At the end of the day, what really do you want more than that? Anyone can say, yeah, we want to win every game, but I'll take five out of six against any opponent. And even to what was impressive is, and again, I said it last week, I had the fear slightly that number one, they were going to take the Senators lightly. And number two, that, they were going to be looking ahead to the Montreal game. And then that would affect their results against the Sens, but it didn't. I mean, maybe you could point to that third period against, uh, against Ottawa. And we'll talk about that in a bit, but overall they stayed focused. Uh, they stayed dialed in on getting the points they needed and the results and seven of eight points. And then you said top of the league in multiple categories. So I feel like we're saying too often here, it sounds kind of weird that all is good in Leafland. but uh, what was your overall assessment of the week? Yeah, it's crazy because since I've been watching this team, they have never played this well. No. <laughs> I mean, this is just, this is foreign to a lot of Leaf fans right now because, you know, you're just waiting for that first sign of, oh, here we go again. The Leafs yeah. suck defensively. It's time to go on that downward spiral. And we thought that was going to happen on Monday night when they collapsed against the Senators. I mean, that was one of the worst collapses, you know, I can remember when it comes to this team. Oh, I have the stats on how bad that collapse actually was, but keep going. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, you thought that you were going to see the same old Leafs, like I mentioned, but to see them bounce back and finish the week, grabbing seven of a possible eight points was just awesome. And you love the mental toughness. You love to see the play of Matthews and Marner Freddie Anderson's been solid. He's making saves when they need him to make saves. Yes. The, de the defense core has been good. So, yeah, when you look at this team from top to bottom, at this point, there really isn't anything bad to say. And now we will get into a couple players later in the podcast. Um, William Nylander and John Tavares, just yeah. for a little teaser. In case but, anyone's um, surprised. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know, you know, other people in Leafs Nation kind of have the same thoughts as we do about those guys, but we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But yeah, Lapore, at the end of the day, man, I mean, there's really nothing that you can be upset about when you see the way that this team was able to bounce back after Monday night. So let's get into that game a little bit. Um, they go up five to one. Looks like they're just going to absolutely smash the Senators. I mean, you're thinking this is going to be eight one, eight two, something crazy like that. And then the Senators come back and win 6-5 in overtime. So I know you have some interesting thoughts on that game. Uh, yeah. Let's hear it, man. Okay, so it's, again, it, this is going to sound different. And it's, it's we're all fans. And of course, that night we were fuming. So now a few days later, the logic kicks in. 
And it's weird because if you look at that game specifically, and if you look at each goal specifically from that comeback, and I'm, and I'm sure people would argue with me to this point, and I'm not taking any credit away from the Senators and any blame away from the Leafs for that matter, because at the end of the day, blowing a 5-1 lead to anyone is absolute madness, and there's no excuse for that. But when you look at the goals and how the comeback happened, so the team's up 5-1 late in the second period, and John Tavares has that giveaway. So, okay, 5-2, whatever, fluky goal. We're going into the third, up three goals. Then the goal that made it 5-3 was that uh, Zub coming out of the penalty box goal for uh, that breakaway. And what a move he pulled. Was there anything more Toronto Maple Leafs than a Russian defenseman coming out of the penalty box who's never scored an NHL goal, look like Wayne Gretzky and pull a crazy teak on our goalie yeah. and score his first NHL that goal. That was unbelievable, So man. kind of, again, like the Tavares goal, kind of just like an isolated moment that led to a goal. And nothing you can really point to other than it was just bad timing. The guy comes out of the box, the puck happens to go right to the sense player. He's coming out, breakaway, great move again, credit to him, scores. Then the goal that makes it 5-4. Actually, the Leafs did a great job killing... Um, a four-minute uh, four penalty. And then as it's winding down, Vessi loses his stick. There's a change of possession as he's grabbing another stick. It comes in the zone. Great pass. I think it was by Colin White. And now the Sens are down one. And then for the tying goal, it was a shot on net, bounces up. And it was batted out of the air. Again, compliment to the player, but kind of another, another random incident. If it goes over the net or wide, like we may expect it to when a player's trying to bat a puck out of the air when he's coming across his body. But again, full props to the Sens. It takes a lot to score four straight goals against any team. But when I look at that game and I look at those goals, it's not exactly, when I look at those goals specifically, I don't think there's something, and again, people may argue this with me, but I don't see them as goals that say a coaching staff could look at tape and say, oh my goodness, look, look how bad we looked on that play where it was poor defensive zone coverage or just like a blatant mistake by someone. And when I say mistake, I mean a mental mistake. Obviously the John Tavares thing is like a, like a bullshit thing. He gives the puck away and that's horrible. And there's no excuse for that, especially from him. But I just think it was kind of four isolated moments that it was a complete one in a billion that they all happened in a 20 minute span. And the Sens took advantage. Good for them. They took advantage. I don't want to take anything away from them. They took advantage. And that puck being batted out of the air for the tying goal is a great goal. What a goal. That's that's a ball hockey goal. But even too, like looking at the numbers, had I showed you that box score and said the Leafs were up 5-1 and blew a four-goal lead and were heading to overtime, I'm sure you and most people would have thought that they were outplayed to all hell in the third period running around and the shots would have been like 20 to five for Ottawa and Toronto was just a mess in that period. The shots in that period in the third period were 12, 10 Toronto. Toronto did not get a power play in that period. And Ottawa had a four minute uh, power play. As I mentioned, the one they scored as it expired. So I don't know if in the history of hockey, if there's been four consecutive goals and it'd be a great thing to look up, whoever wants to. Has a team ever scored four consecutive goals against another team while being outshot in, such, in that span? Like, it's almost, that's pretty unlikely or incredibly unlikely, as I would say, as, as I should say. But, and again, like looking at the history of it, it's pretty hilarious. So, Quantaki had it at 
when the Leafs were up 5-1, the chances of the Leafs winning were 99.9122%. Oh, my God. So we're getting into, like, the one in a thousand, like, ratios now, like, less than one in a thousand of that result happening. But what's hilarious is you look down the list, of course, the, the Athletic had a great article on the greatest collapses of all time. And based on the records we have, it was the second worst collapse of all time the Blackhawks had one they were up 5-1 against Minnesota and with it was actually six minutes into the third period and wow. uh, Minnesota stormed back tied the game and won in a shootout and then actually that same Chicago team uh in 2010 it was 2010 that occurred uh blew a three-goal lead and then the, another one was the Caps the year after they won blew a 5-1 lead and another one was the Red Wings in 2009 blew a four goal lead. So they had, they had the long list and there was others. I think the Dallas stars had a really bad one too, but let's ring the bell. So it was Chicago in 2010, the caps, the year after they won the cup did it and the Red Wings in 2009. And those who uh, follow hockey history know that that team won the cup as well. So the fact of the matter is this can happen. This can happen to good teams and based on it being Chicago who won the cup, the Caps right after they won the cup and the wings who did win the cup, I think we can all say that it's a lock that the Toronto Maple Leafs will win the Stanley cup because of that epic collapse in the third period. You heard it here. It's yeah. a stone lock. <laughs> the Toronto Maple Leafs, the 2021 Stanley cup champions. You probably would have got pretty good odds after that third period collapse. Oh man. No, but Laporte, you said it, man. I think it's one of those situations as well that if you simulate that game 1,000 times... Oh, a billion times, yeah. That happens literally once. Yeah. Like, that that's how crazy that was. And listen, the Leafs made some terrible mistakes in that game. Like, you mentioned the John Tavares giveaway, letting Zub get behind them, you know, when the, when the penalty came to an end. But it's like, when you look at all those goals, I, I do kind of agree with you in that, like, it's all these... It was like this perfect storm of events where like these weird things just kept happening over and yeah. over. You're like, how the hell is this even happening right now? Exactly. Like yeah. it wasn't even the senators like applying all of this pressure in the offensive zone and overwhelming the Leafs and completely outplaying them. It was like random event here, random event there. Holy shit. Holy shit. The game's tied. Oh my God. We're in overtime. Senators win six, five. Yeah. And was there any doubt when you went to overtime? Oh yeah, that, you just that you they knew were the Senators lose. were gonna win. When when he got that breakaway, I just closed my eyes and kind of got up. Like, there's no way this is not. He's not gonna score this one. Yeah, you you could just see it coming. Like the Leafs were just like shell shocked. But again, going back to what we said, just when you thought, "Oh my God, it's happening again," and the nightmares are coming back about all the times this team has you know played horrific defensively and blown leads and just look like a soft team, just when you thought all of those things were creeping back in, the Leafs put their foot down and say, no, not this time. This is a different team. And they bounce back on Wednesday night. And you thought that maybe they would come out and, again, play aggressively, try to get out to a big lead. But it was a, they grinded out that win on Wednesday. They did. Two to one. Freddie Anderson was fantastic. And, you know, you'd like to beat the Senators a little bit, you know, easier than that, than grinding out a two-to-one win. But, again, it was it was really nice to see them bounce back in that game. There's not really too much we can get into in that game. But, 
But what yeah. were just your thoughts on the Leafs' ability to to bounce back after that brutal loss? To be, it was kind of expected, actually, like that type of game. And that's not even from a Leaf side. I think it's from uh, the Senators' side as well. As exciting as that first game was, neither coach enjoyed that game. I mean, DJ Smith enjoyed it more than Sheldon Keefe because he got the result. But that's one of those ones when you go over the tape and you go over um, the ups and downs that occurred in that game. No coach wants that. So I kind of expected both coaches to kind of just defensively lock into that game. And it would be more of, say, a playoff style game where a team will take advantage of their opportunities. But the Leafs limited the sends. Um, we were all nervous, I'm sure, uh, anticipating what the takes would be had the Leafs lost again. And uh, Kerfoot got the late winner on a fluky goal. But props to them, man. Like, that's one thing. This, this has been a very, very good season so far. And you get a result like that against the Senators that can really turn things around in a negative way. And the Leafs locked in defensively in that next game. And I think the focus, I'm sure from the coaching staff side, most especially, was let's just get the result. Let's get that comeback loss out of our brains. And let's get two points, regardless of the style it takes to get that two points. And then after this game, we'll move forward in whatever style we actually want to play in. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what happened because then the Leafs come out the very next night and Michael Hutchinson gets the start. And again, talking, talking about nightmares from last season, how horrendous Michael Hutchinson was, how I can't remember the exact amount of games it took him to finally get his first win, but it was a disaster last season. And, you know, you think, uh-oh, Hutchinson's playing his first game since September Anderson's been on this stretch where he's played, you know, 14, 15 games in a row or whatever it was. And the Leafs said, don't worry, Michael Hutchinson, we're going to go out here and put up a touchdown. Yeah. And, and you like to see that after that, that two to one game, it was nice to see that aggressive offensive puck possession, just dominant team come back in that final game. And you could see that Ottawa just, just felt overmatched that night. I mean, Matthews just continuing to put on a show, a four-point night in that Thursday game. And it was just just great to see them finish off that three-game set against Ottawa with that signature win that we were looking for, where there's no doubt about it, where just put your foot down on them and dominate. And Lepore, we got to talk about Austin Matthews, man. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, this is just ridiculous now. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, Seven goals, five assists, 12 points in four games this week. Crazy. I mean, dude, what are we what are we watching right now? We're watching something historic, both in the way of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the National Hockey League. What he's doing in terms of a goal rate is something, and we're still only 15 games in. What is it? Sorry, 16 games in, 17 games in. <laughs> but from a goal rate perspective, he's doing things that haven't been done since like pre lockout nineties, eighties stuff with like McGillney and Brett Hall and Solani and those guys, obviously the Gretzky Mario numbers they put up, but it's almost weird now when you're watching a game, you're kind of waiting for him to score or you're kind of expecting him to have just like a great performance. And I guess that's what it feels like to have a world-class player on your team. I mean, as Leafs fans, we haven't had that. We haven't been fortunate enough to have that many, but like, let's be honest, uh, players of this level don't come around very often. So 
he plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> so we're, we're lucky to watch it, but it's awesome, man. Like he, he is scoring different ways too. I think that is what is so special about this player right now. If someone asked me, Oh, how does Matthews get his goals? I'd say, well, he has an incredible shot, but we're seeing them from the left side. We're seeing them from the right side. We're seeing now him, him take a slap shot more often. We're seeing even strength. We're seeing on the power play. He seems a lot more dialed in on the power play uh, this season. So there's no other way to describe it other than special. And we're lucky to be experiencing it, not only as Toronto Maple Leafs fans, but as just hockey fans in general. And it's a great time to be an NHL fan, like scoring. It looks like we're at a time where there are a lot of players in the league who can really light it up. There was a few years where we weren't seeing very many elite seasons as far as goals and points go. And it looks like some of the numbers these guys are putting up, we might come into another phase of the NHL where that a hundred point number is something that is attainable by, by the best players and something that we can actually circle and target and not necessarily just to win the art Ross. No, you'll have to do better than that to get the art Ross and the pace Matthews is on. Like who knows, maybe we, we will see a 50 and 50. I mean, if you ask people, I say within any, anyone within the last two years, would we ever see that again? You'd get laughed at. I mean, the best recent uh, seasons we've had were the Stamkos and the Ovechkin seasons when they were in the sixties and that's in the 82 game season. So to get 50 and 50, and we have a long way to go for Matthews to get there, but the way he looks and the rate he's scoring at, I don't know if I'd bet against it. I'd say it's at least going to be close. So nothing real more to say about that. Then we're very lucky to be able to watch this player right now. Yeah. Heading into the season, I thought there was no way anyone was going to score more than like 40 to 45 goals. Even that would be crazy. Yeah, exactly. Like just when you kind of, when you extrapolate that over an 82 game season, right? You're just like, there's no way anyone's even coming close to 50 goals in 56 games, but Oh my God, the way this guy is playing. And it's like you said, you're just waiting for him to score. He's basically scoring every single game. I mean, I have never seen a player this dominant play for the Toronto Maple Leafs in my no. lifetime. No, like we, we are truly watching one of the best goal scorers of this generation. We really are. Like, we're going to look back 20 years when Austin Matthews is retired and all these other guys, Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby, and go down the list. Austin Matthews, I think, is, is going to go down as probably one of the top 10 goal scorers we've ever seen. Yeah. Like, I really do. And I, I don't even think that's a stretch to say that anymore. I mean, he has the most even strength goal since he entered the NHL. But now what we're seeing this year is his production on the power play. Yeah. And you brought that up as well because Matthews, as we know, has been awesome scoring five on five. I was looking at his numbers over his career. The most amount of power play goals he has scored in a season leading up to this year was 12. So he's not this guy that's going out there and you know filling it up on the power play like Ovechkin does or even like Steven Stamkos, right? He's doing a lot of his damage at five on five. This year, Lapore, he already has seven power play goals in 18 games. Wow. So he's five power play goals away from his his single season career best. And 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 when I look at Austin Matthews, I always thought this dude was going to be a 50-goal scorer. And to me, I looked at those power play numbers and I'm like, all he needs to do 
is step it up just a little bit on the power play. Like if he can even become close to what we see like Ovechkin doing on the power play, Stamkos, like I mentioned, or even David Pasternak, another guy who's really good on the power play. If Matthews can just get, you know, one more tick up and become a little bit more potent on the power play, this dude is going to be scoring 50 goals in his sleep. And and that's exactly what you're seeing this season. And it's been incredible to watch. And Laporte, before we get into the Habs game, I guess I'll bring this up right now. You know, we talk about how incredible Matthews has been this year, but Mitch Marner has been just as great. He's got 30 points in 19 games. He's tied with Leon Dreisaitl for second in the league in scoring behind Connor McDavid, who's basically just an alien. But (laughs) is, is Marner's season getting overshadowed here? by Austin Matthews, who has 500 goals in, in 18 games, it seems. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I, re- I really think it is because because of Matthews' goal production, him getting all the attention that way. You're not you're kind of forgetting, and you have to go back at the numbers sometimes to see what Marner is doing. But then you're not surprised because just watching the games, you see how many times he's feeding uh, Matthews. But even goal-wise, like Marner's at – about a half goal a game pace. Like in a full season, he'd be on a pace of between 35 and 40 goals. That's crazy for a guy who scoring goals is not at the top of his uh, like weapons of arsenal. No, the guy, the guy's a, a pass first guy. He's a, he's a playmaking guy. Actually, he thinks sometimes he, he passes too much. He's got those moments where he gets an opening and you want to say, Mitch, shoot the fucking puck. And then he'll hesitate and dish it off. It's like, no, Mitchie, like you could have scored. But I think you're right. I think he is getting overshadowed. And like, who knows, maybe we'll get a situation here where we have two Leafs players at the end of the season, both racing for the Art Ross trophy and maybe the, uh, the Hart trophy there. I said it, I mean, at the end of the day at Marner's pace, if he scores between 35 and four, well, if he gets a pace between 35 and 40 goals, half, half, a, a goal, a game pace, which would be 28 goals. If he's say around 25 goals and he's, uh, a point and a half a game overall, I mean, he's on the list. He's got to be considered. So, again, it feels very, very weird to have two of these players on the Toronto Maple Leafs. But, again, we're lucky. But he's doing very, very well. And to be honest, Marner's been through a lot. Now, some of that is the fault of himself. Some people, I mean, during all that contract talk, some people were blaming his agent, blaming his dad. Shots were taken. You can blame the media. You can blame the fans. But this kid came in. And I don't know if it'd be tough to kind of circle what we expected from Marner based on his season last year, because there was all the contract stuff and he didn't have the greatest season last year. And I think what we lost from Marner was even beyond numbers. When we watched that kid, his first two seasons or his first three seasons, actually, we saw a kid who was just having a blast and you were just watching Marner, like kind of like live the dream. Here's this kid from the GTA playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs, lighting it up. But I feel as if that was kind of lost. And even if he was putting up numbers, it didn't quite feel the same. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of things people can circle, whether it was the Babcock thing or who knows what else was going on within the organization. But Marner signs that deal. Last year did not go well for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was a fucking roller coaster. They come into this season with Keith as the coach, his first full training camp, adding some bodies. 
And it looks like he's having fun again. And it, it may sound cheesy and very simplistic to have that take as to why he's putting up the numbers. He is obviously Matthews play comes into it as well, but he's doing awesome, man. And I'm happy for the kid in the way that it's very typical of Leafs nation and uh, Leafs media to be split on a player, even when they're a star player because of things like that contract negotiation or the amount of money he ended up with or playoff results. So I kind of felt like things could have went either way with Mitch. Like, is this going to be that kid from the GTA that becomes a hero and has a great career career with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Or is this a kid who signed a big contract and it was divided? He was never really loved. And eventually he was going to be shipped out of town because we we're just going to shit on him all day long. So the way it looks right now is that it's all roses because he's putting up numbers. And like I said, most importantly, it looks like he's having a good time. Yeah, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Mitch Marner this year. And you brought up this point that he's actually shooting the puck more and he looks more confident shooting the puck because there's been so many times over his first four seasons in the league where you're like, dude, you have an opening there. Like, I know you're one of the best playmakers in the game, but for the love of God, shoot the puck when you have an opportunity. And this year, you're seeing him be more aggressive offensively. And I think the big thing to me that has unlocked all of this that we're seeing from Matthews and Marner is the simple fact that they are now consistently playing with each other. Oh, Something (laughs) that Mike Babcock, for whatever reason, it took him essentially four years to figure out, oh, maybe I should actually play my two best players on the same line. And listen, I get it. You know, the whole thought about Matthews can drive his own line and Marner can drive his his own line and let's spread the wealth a little bit. Let's have elite players on on different lines. But honestly, sometimes to unlock this sort of magic that you're seeing, just just stop overthinking it and just play them together. Yeah. And I think you're finally seeing the the ceiling of these two guys because Mitch Marner, you go back to his 94-point season a couple of years ago, and it was really impressive. And, you know, you look at some of the seasons that Matthews had, and he probably would have scored 50 goals last year if the season didn't come to an end because of COVID. But you always just thought that there was this this next level that you were just waiting for from these guys. And I still think we're waiting for that from guys like William Nylander specifically. But I always thought that there was this next level that Marner and Matthews could hit. And I am so glad that we're finally seeing this happen. And something that Leaf fans were just waiting to see, these two playing together consistently on a night-in, night-out basis. Because we know that they're, they're good friends outside, you know, off the rink. They have amazing chemistry on the ice together. They came up in the NHL together. Like, this is just a match made in heaven. And I'm so glad that we're finally seeing this play out now with these guys consistently playing over 20 minutes a night and playing on the same line. And speaking of which, you know, I kind of shit on Babcock a little bit for not playing these guys together. Just a little stat here to bring your way. The Leafs now in 66 games under Sheldon Keefe Lapore. Oh, the the record, yeah. 41-18-7. So they're playing at a 110-point pace under Sheldon Keefe. And I think that gets lost on a lot of people that they don't really remember, you know, last year, like you said, was a complete roller coaster, got off to a terrible start with Babcock. 
but they don't remember that the Leafs actually had the eighth best record in the league last season when Sheldon Keith took over. And now they have the best record in the NHL. Since, yeah. They were 500 when he took over. People like, oh, they made the playoffs or whatever. No, no. They, by at that point, we were asking questions as to whether that team was going to make the playoffs. Exactly. And it's like, you know, I, w- I would even go on Twitter and I'd say, can we just give Sheldon Keefe a chance here? He takes over this disaster of a situation 23 games into the season. The Leafs won nine of their first 23 under Babcock. Sheldon Keefe comes in, all these moving parts, has no time to implement his system. I know he he was able to work with the Marlies and he's worked with a lot of these players before, but it's not the same yeah. at the NHL level when you're being just thrown into the fire like that. And now that he had an entire offseason to digest everything, to implement his plan. And even this year, Lepore, with you know, with COVID and all this other crap going on like he didn't really have an opportunity to fully have like a normal season right and despite all that they're playing at a 110 point pace under Sheldon Keith since he took over this job I mean I'm I'm very impressed I don't know man like what are what are your thoughts on on what you've seen under Keith we're seeing wins I mean I what I think would be a great discussion is and of course it's a mix of both but are we seeing how good of a coach Sheldon Keefe is or how bad of a coach Mike Babcock was or how bad of a fit he was with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Like I, I think we're Babcock, seeing things now, like we're seeing things now in terms of like ice time and guys in the lineup that were, that seems so obvious now. And we're like, Babcock wasn't doing that. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, it's not like Sheldon Keefe is coming in here and like doing all these like crazy things. Like, Oh, I, I never would have thought of that. Like he's kind of just doing the obvious (laughs) things, right? He's like, let me just play my best players the most minutes. Right. What a genius move that is. Right. And it, it was just something that Babcock never really fully embraced for whatever reason. But I mean, yeah, you, you can't, you can only be impressed by what you've seen from this team under Sheldon Keefe. And I think it'll only continue to get better the more time he has with this group. And, you know, even going into next season, if the the NHL finally goes back to a legit 82 game schedule, you know, we'll see how they, how they fare when, when things go back to normal like that. But yeah, I, I, I'm just so impressed with how Sheldon Keefe has, has handled this job. Um, Now Laporte, let's kind of get into, the Leafs final game of the week on Saturday night. We, you know, we got to talk about this. Yeah. So the Montreal Canadians have an entire week off. They watch the Leafs elevate in the standings. They get the first point against Ottawa on Monday. Then they pick up another four points with, with back-to-back wins. So they head into that matchup on Saturday night against the Leafs. And they're looking up at the standings and they're like, oh my God we need to win this game or else this thing is going to start to get away from us. Mm-hmm. And I understand they have games in hand, but the Leafs come out. They, they take the lead. They let the halves get back into the game. They scored. What was it? Two goals in 33 seconds to tie the game. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the whole, are the Leafs mentally soft? Are they going to let this game get away from them? And they didn't. And they bounced back and, Matthews, once again, was incredible. Marner was awesome. And the Leafs pick up a 5-3 win. And now you look at the standings, Lepore, and they have a 10-point lead over the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. That game, to me, when I look back at that game as a whole, 
what excites me most is, and I don't know today I haven't really been on Twitter or seen like the, what the takes are, but what I'm happiest about is the play of Anderson because what we're seeing from this team so far this season is they can win in different ways. We mentioned in an earlier show about how this team previously just want, would win a shit ton of track meets. We're talking about previous seasons and that was kind of their identity. And I think the Leafs still are known as kind of a run and gun team that can score a lot of goals and beat you with a lot of speed and talent. But okay. Even this week, we saw a team win a tight game against Ottawa. We saw them blow out Ottawa. And then we see them against Montreal. I think a lot of credit has to be given to Freddie Anderson in the way I'm, I don't know if I'm going to go as far as say he stole the game, but when it was zero, zero, he made two huge saves in the first period that would have changed everything. And then the Leafs go up to nothing. Montreal ties the game, as you mentioned, and both goals. I mean, cock and Yemi, what a shot that was. What a goal. And then the second goal was a breakaway as well. And then the Leafs went up four, two on those two quick goals. And then again, Anderson made a big save following up in the second. And then he made another couple saves in the third. So just a great performance from him. And what you want to see from your team is you want to see results achieved different ways because not, you're not going to beat everyone in a track meet. You're not going to beat everyone playing the style of the 1995 New Jersey devils. And you're not going to beat everyone relying on your goalie. You want to see that nice mix. And that's what made me happiest about this game and sort of the week overall, they won three different ways. And again, it's impressive. Yeah, I really like that point that you brought up about them being able to win in different ways because I think when you when you think about this team, at the end of the day, Lepore, you know, whether or not they win the division, which they easily should at this point, or win the President's Trophy for that matter, this team is solely going to be judged on how they perform in the playoffs. And when I think about that, and when I think about how you have to be success or how you know, you're going to be successful in the playoffs is you need to be able to win games in different ways. And we saw that last season specifically with the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? There are some games where their stars take over and Kucherov and Point are lighting it up. And there's other games where they have to lock it down and play a different style. Yeah. And I think you're now seeing signs of the Leafs being able to do that. Now, am I saying they're as good as last season's Tampa Bay Lightning? Not necessarily. You know, we're... At the end of the day, we're still 19 games into the season. Let's see what this team does in the playoffs. But I'm seeing a lot of good signs that this team, whether they want to get into a track meet with you and try to score four, five, six goals to win a game, or whether they want to lock a game down and try to win two or three to one, they can do that. And I think the big key with Freddie Anderson, like you mentioned, is he just needs to make the big saves when the team needs it. Yeah. Because we've Make seen so many, so many times in the past with him where, especially in the playoffs, where he, he lets in that just back-breaking goal at the wrong time. And when I look at Freddie Anderson's stats this year, they're still not great. Like, he's got a 9.05 save percentage. But, you know, based on the eye test and based on some of the things that you just mentioned, it doesn't really matter because he he's making those saves when they need them at those at those big moments in the game and the way that this team is playing in front of him, he doesn't need to be a superstar right now. And, and I've been really impressed with that. But Lepore also, there is something that we have not been impressed with 
with the Leafs so far. Yeah. And that is specifically the play of William Nylander. And before I get into this, I just want to read a quote to you, okay? Sure. So for those that didn't uh, catch it during that Habs game, William Nylander was benched for the final eight minutes and 45 seconds of the game on Saturday night against the Montreal Canadiens. He played just 13, on his ass. 13 minutes and 55 seconds in that game. It was the least amount of ice time he got under Sheldon Keith wow. in the last 66 games. So I'm just going to read you a quote, Lapore, from Sheldon, Sheldon Keefe, who talked about benching a star player. He goes, everything is situational. It's usually an accumulation of things. You don't overreact to one incident or one different thing. For me, it's usually the end of a long line of events that have occurred with a lot of communication and discussion. It's not something I resort to all that often. He then continued on Nylander and said, I didn't like some of the things here today once we got the lead. As a team, I didn't think we did great things in the second period, but in the third period, we really got it going the way we wanted to, and I didn't think Willie matched that. So, Lapore, yeah. your thoughts on this whole Nylander situation? I think this this thing on Nylander really is loaded. I mean, you go back to that uh, that cover page of the Toronto Sun, and let's call it how it is the players and the coaches are aware of that stuff as much as they're going to tell us they're not and they completely ignore it they at least have to see it so you think of the message that Keith is trying to send to Nylander knowing that that was published and people are already shitting on him and dumping on him and he's not playing very well and then you bench him and in the Toronto spotlight everyone's going to notice and then he makes those quotes He's putting pressure on Nylander and I'm pretty excited to see how Nylander is going to react to all this because not everyone responds to this type of stuff in a positive way. I have heard rumblings that there is some conflict there between Nylander and Keefe. I've heard from some sources that he, there's been some meetings between them and I've even heard that Sheldon Keefe called Nylander out at a team meeting in front of the entire team asking him if he wanted to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. And then if he didn't, he would, he'd be happy to leave and a call could be made to get him traded. So it's loading up on a public level and it's loading up on a private level. And even now with what I just said, that's being known across the players. So it's at the end of the day, it's up to Willie. It's up to him if he wants to play well. It's up to him if he wants to be a part of this team going forward. Because... You hate to admit it, or I mean, it sounds weird saying it out loud, but is the writing slowly getting written on the wall that he will be traded? I mean, we always brush it aside when people would point to him. And like every team's got their scapegoat when things are going really well or really poorly. And Nylander being a Swede with long hair was an easy target. And then the whole contract negotiation thing just piled it on. But if he doesn't start producing and, and even beyond that, even beyond his production, I don't know about you, Bruno, but his body language fucking sucks, man. Like he's just, every time he's going to the bench and the camera goes on him, he just seems kind of like grumpy or just mad at himself or frustrated or even just kind of sad, like a sad little puppy, like Willie fuck man. Like you got to step it up. And again, it's not even about, cause like, again, the numbers aren't that bad. It's just, 
You got to show some energy. You got to show some want. And right now it's not there. And it could be a combination of things. You hate to say it, but you almost hope you hear later. Oh yeah. He was playing hurt. It's not like we have that excuse, but until we find that out, we can't circle that. But I really like William Nylander. He was kind of this first piece when the Leafs turned, turned the corner as far as the organization goes. Hearing about this young Swedish kid we got who was lighting up, lighting it up in the AHL and then you know, was doing really well with Sweden in the World Juniors. So I have that sort of connection with William Nylander as a Leafs fan and I want him to be part of this team. But he's going to have to show it both in the way of statistics and in the way of emotion. And I hate to be like that uncle yelling at the TV, telling a player to show more, show more emotion, but Willie, come on. You got to give us something, man. Well, first of all, Lepore, you dropped an absolute bombshell with William Nylander and Keith and this rift between them. And first of all, I love that. (laughs) <laughs> i love that that you you have this inside information so I'll try my best so that's uh that's very very interesting but lapore i'm i'm right there with you man and listen i have defended william nylander from day one no smart I people think, have <laughs> i think he is a great player okay when he signed that contract i thought the number was fantastic yeah 6.9 I thought he deserved it. I thought he was going to outplay that contract. We're talking about a guy, okay, who started his career with back-to-back 60-point seasons, who was the MVP at the World Hockey Championship for Sweden. I forgot about that, yeah. He was the MVP of the damn tournament, the World Hockey Championship, not the World Juniors, the World Hockey Championship. Led Sweden in scoring, was the MVP of the tournament, and he did this at... I believe he was 21 years old at the time. Yeah, he was still a kid. So you see flashes from this guy that he can be an elite player in this league. There's moments out there when he's got the puck on his stick and he's making plays and he's firing it on net with that heavy shot that he has. You're saying to yourself, you're like, oh my God, this guy can be one of the top players in the league if he can just bring it on a night-to-night basis. And... Like you said, Lepore, yes, the numbers are still there. Like he's still almost a point per game player. But my goodness, two points in his last eight games. And you can bring the advanced stats to me and tell me about all the slot chances he has and his expected goals and all this and all this stuff. And listen, I love analytics. I I use numbers to to really influence the way that I think about hockey and how I make decisions on certain players and things like that. I'm, I'm not discounting any of that, but when you watch this guy play, it, it's just, it's, it hasn't been there consistently. And, and it's okay to admit that Leafs nation. It's okay. For the love of God, if John Tavares and William Nylander are not living up to expectations, you're not going to be banished and, friggin' expelled from Leafs Twitter because you're calling them out. Enough is enough. I'm sick of this shit. John Tavares is making $11 million a year. And guess what? John Tavares would be the first person to tell you that he's not playing his best. And William Nylander would be the first person to tell you that he's not playing well right now. So I don't want to hear this bullshit about the advanced numbers and how Tavares is still a point, almost a point per game player. And he's playing well defensively. No, these guys are supposed to be going out there and being high end elite level players. 
end of story. And when you're watching Marner and Matthews in the way that they're dictating the game on both ends of the ice, not only offensively where they've been incredible, but on the defensive side of things as well, where these guys are stripping, stripping guys of the puck in the defensive zone, quickly moving it up ice. Their play in the neutral zone, their play, obviously, like I said, in the offensive end, they've been ridiculous, but I'm not seeing the same level from John Tavares and William Nylander. Now, are John Tavares and William Nylander as good as Matthews and Marner? No, they're not. They're just not. Okay, it's as simple as that. But it's okay to expect more from those guys. Because again, going back to William Nylander, Lapore, we've seen how good he can be. We've seen it. I've been watching this guy so closely for the last five years. When, when he's making those high-end plays, you're just shaking your head sometimes being like, holy shit, this guy is he's elite but then there's other games where he comes out there and he's and he's just he's a ghost yeah and you're just not noticing him and and you're like where the hell did this guy go and it's like you said the body language isn't there it's like he's feeling sorry for himself and now keith is calling him out and and i can't wait to see how how he responds from this because this is gonna slowly you know this narrative is gonna build and build and build if he doesn't snap out of this so we, I, I really want to see how Nylander bounces back from this. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I mean, it kind of just dawned on me now. Thank God they're winning. Can you imagine like, where we'd be at as a fan base and the media with Tavares and Nylander if they weren't winning? But it's this weird thing, like, within Leafs Nation, and I'm sure like, this is what, what you were getting at in the way that you don't have to be on one side of the or the other. We're not Democrats and Republicans. We're not Fox News or CNN. It's okay to think William Nylander is a great player and is playing like trash It's right now. It's okay to think John Tavares is a great player and a great captain and an important piece of this franchise, and he just sucks so far this season. It just it's You hit the nail on the head. It's just weird how everyone is either completely defending them or completely trashing them. It's like, no, guys, it's okay to love them and think they're playing poorly. And even then, if you can fucking hate them, and then when they're playing poorly, say, yeah, they're, they're playing well. It's this weird the relationship Leafs fans have with our players. I don't know, maybe all fan bases are like that, and they're just more of us, so it's extra annoying. But it's funny. It's funny. Human nature, I guess. Yeah, and you said it, Lapore. The most important thing right now is that this team is winning. It'd be right? ugly. It'd be ugly if on those two guys, if this team was losing. Wow. Oh yeah, wow. absolutely. Winning just cures all of these other issues. And listen, I know you, you could say to a certain extent that it's nitpicking a little bit, but it's like, yeah. what else do you have to nitpick when it comes to this team? They've been so well, but I think something that even frustrates Sheldon Keefe a little bit. And, you know, he hasn't really admitted it is that he probably thinks this team could be even better if yeah. those guys were actually playing to the level that we all know they're capable of playing at when it comes to John Tavares and William Nylander. So yeah. Lapore, you know, talking about how great the Leafs have been, they're 14, three and two after 19 games, you know, they seem to be running away with the Canadian division at this point. What are your thoughts now moving forward? Like, is this a lock at this point? Like, is, it, is this Canadian division now the Leafs to lose? Like, it, it looks like they're on a President's Trophy winning trajectory. It looks like they're going to be, you know, one of the top three or four teams in the league when this is all said and done after 56 games. So, so what are your thoughts on this Canadian division moving forward? 
Yeah, I mean, 19 games in. It's funny. You said it earlier. They were 19 games in. And then I said earlier, I'm like, what are they, 15, 16 games in? The season's moving extra quickly. Um, maybe because of the weirdness of it that I forgot how many games we had played. But looking at the standings here, I mean, as it stands right now, they've played more games, but the Oilers, the Oilers quietly are 12 and 8 right now. And we're being completely counted out. And now Montreal, again, games at hand, like 9, 5, and 2 is still a nice record. Calgary's dropped off. But as far as the Leafs go at the top, both in the way of what the standings are right now and the way they've looked, I think I'd be absolutely baffled if this team didn't finish on top of the division. I think the more interesting or more fun discussion is who's going to finish two, three, and four and what order they're going to finish in because we've been saying for weeks this is going to be a two-horse race between the Habs and Leafs for first place. And then it's just going to be a matter of who's going to slot into three and four and who's going to play who in the first round. But as it looks, I mean, Winnipeg and Edmonton have told us to settle down, that they're not going anywhere. So it's still a lot of hockey to be played. But I think what we can see out of it, and again, we can touch on this, is that like it seemed like last week the team to shit on was the Vancouver Canucks. We've been shitting on the Sens all season, but now it's Calgary. Like Calgary has been a disaster, like eight, nine and one through 18. And then you have again, Montreal, Winnipeg, Edmonton, who are kind of creeping away from them. So are we going to get to a point halfway through the season where the four teams are locked in and they're just jockeying for position? So I don't know. I mean, for sure. None, none of those three teams, well, the, the Leafs can't relax either, but as far as placing goes, those three teams can't relax. I mean, it looks like they'll, they'll be battling till the end. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think it's the more interesting conversation now is how things are going to shake out behind the Leafs because I would be absolutely flabbergasted if the Leafs don't win the Canadian division. They're top to bottom, the best team. They're off to an incredible start. And once again, I just want to reiterate, it is not early. This is a 56-game <laughs> season. We're 19 games in when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like what you're seeing now is probably what you're going to see, you know, 35 games from now. And I think um, something that we definitely need to bring up is the Montreal Canadiens because I could have sworn, Lapore, that two weeks ago, the Montreal Canadiens were a juggernaut, according to Chris Johnston of Sportsnet. Right. And they had all this depth and they had. Carey Price and their defense core was great and they were the best team in the Canadian division. But Lepore, was everybody wrong about the Montreal Canadiens? Oh, that's, that's a good question, Bruno. I like it. Was everybody wrong about the Montreal Canadiens? I still think they're a really good team. I just think things are starting to even out now. They had some rough losses um, in the last week or so. Or it's not the week, they had the week off. In the last two weeks, I should say. But they're a balanced team. They're a nice team. Are they an elite team? I do not think they are. I think they're a playoff team. And I think they have pieces that I think they can give anyone a fight in the playoffs. And I have said on this podcast earlier, the Montreal Canadiens scared the shit out of me from a playoffs perspective. Just in the way that the extra hype will come around a playoff series versus them. They have a goalie who can be the best goalie in the world. And they have the types of players who are all good enough just to fucking annoy you over a seven game series. And I say that as a compliment. So were people wrong? I mean, it's a Canadian, it was a Canadian team doing very well. And everyone loves to hear about the Montreal Canadians 
or Toronto Maple Leafs doing very well or different or doing poorly because you're either going to love it or hate it and you're going to respond to it. So I'm sure Chris Johnson knew what he was doing, throwing out those tweets about the juggernaut that was the Montreal Canadiens. What was hilarious was that it was the week before the series the Leafs had with the Canucks that Montreal played Vancouver and Montreal beat up on Vancouver and the take was that was that Montreal is way better than we expected and they'll be fighting the Leafs they are the best team in the division and then the Leafs beat up on Vancouver and the take was wow the Canucks are shit and it was like oh funny (laughs) fun funny how it was spun the other way when we happen to beat them but I think I to be honest I think those three teams are similar I think well, I should say they're similar in the way of what their ceiling is. Those three teams being Winnipeg, Montreal, and Edmonton in the way that they're good enough to give anyone a fight. They're not elite teams. But what's cool is that they're all very different. Like I said, Montreal is a balanced team. Um, Edmonton is a team that has like, you know, the juggernaut that is McDavid and Drysaddle at the top. And then it kind of drips down as you go down the lineup. And Winnipeg is kind of like an in-between where it's not super high-end talent, but I wouldn't call it a balanced lineup either. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch uh, the rest of the season to see how these teams do and see where they end up. What do you think, will you say at this point, like are Calgary and Vancouver completely out of it? I'll ask you that. I think, here's the thing. Coming into the season, I've said this on a previous show, that I thought the Canucks would be like a top three team in the Canadian division. Really? Okay. And that may have been, you know, a crate it now kind of looks like a terrible take looking back at it but you know i just sort of looked at all the other teams after the leafs right we both agreed we thought the leafs were the best team in the division coming into the season just based on roster depth talent all that and i looked at the canucks and i'm like they're really good especially in their top six and i know their goaltending isn't great and you're seeing that with demko and holpe they have not been very good this season and their defense core is struggling a little bit. But even when you look at like a guy like Quinn Hughes, right? So I thought that they had enough talent to, to easily be a playoff team in this division. And it's, sure. it, it's interesting because I like that point you brought up how those other teams behind the Leafs are all different and they all have holes, right? It's like, you look at Edmonton, they have the top end talent, but defensively they're still kind of a disaster and their goaltending isn't very good. And then the Habs are balanced, but don't have the the top-end talent. The Canucks, they have some top-end talent, but they have holes on defense and goaltending. So it's like all of those, I I wouldn't really count out Calgary or Vancouver yet as, you know, as as crazy as that might even seem like, oh, Bruno, look, like we're already almost halfway through the season and these teams are falling behind. I I wouldn't totally count them out yet. I Mm. I still think that they're going to be in the race now they better pick it up, especially Vancouver. And again, they have their problems and they're behind in the standings right now. But I still think that there's a little bit of time where if they can get going, things are going to get interesting for those two, three, and four spots in the Canadian division. Because at the end of the day, as as great as McDavid's playing, and sure, maybe he can just carry this team the entire season, that team still has a lot of issues. Yeah, And that's why I would not be surprised one bit if it finishes, you know, two, three, four, whether it's Edmonton, Winnipeg, Habs, Habs, Edmonton, Winnipeg, you put Calgary or Vancouver in one of those spots. I just think that those teams are, when you kind of look at the big picture 
and you kind of zoom out a little bit, you realize that they're all kind of in the same boat and that there's not really a team amongst that group that is like head and shoulders above the rest. I think you just have kind of the Leafs in their own tier. And then sure, you could say that Edmonton is the second best team just because of McDavid and Dreisaitl. But, you know, you go down that roster. And, there's and an there, argument, yeah. There's an argument that, yeah. that they still have several holes and that you can't really trust that team. Because look what, look what happened last year against the Blackhawks in the qualifying round. McDavid and Dreisaitl played out of their damn minds and they lost in four games to the freaking worst team in the in the Western Conference, yeah. right? So that's why I, I'm still I'm still a little skeptical when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers. And then yeah, then you know, speaking about the Montreal Canadiens, I I think this is exactly what they are. I really do. And and I heard about all the depth they have and how they can hit you with four lines, but at the end of the day, Lapore, the top end talent is not there. Tyler Toffoli on Saturday night officially became their leading scorer, passing Jeff Petrie. Scored again. <laughs> okay, so this is a team that had Jeff freaking Petrie leading the team in scoring for like, what, two to three weeks? So I get it. They, they have some talent as you move down the roster, but this is not a team that can consistently generate offense. It's just not. There, there's a formula that they need to have in order to beat a team like the Leafs, in order to beat a team, even like Edmonton for that matter, right? You're not going to get into a run and gun game with the Leafs or the Oilers if you're the Habs and try to beat them like that. Like, you know, let's, let's have some fun right now, today, going through those three teams. If Montreal played Winnipeg in a seven game series, who would you be betting on? I'm taking Winnipeg. Edmonton? Oh, man. That's, I'm taking Edmonton. Okay. And I, I, and wow. I know that, wow, I love it. <laughs> I, I don't know how you feel about that, but first, just looking at the Jets, I, I love what they have down the middle. And I know Pierre Luc Dubois hasn't totally found his rhythm. He's been injured, but I look at that matchup and I'm like, okay, they got Shifley and Dubois down the middle and Connor Hellebuck, who quite frankly is probably the best, you could say he's the best goalie in the world. Unreal. Really. Yeah. I mean, I know Carey Price is great and his resume and all that, and we've seen what he's done, but Connor Hellebuck's awesome. So you just think about that dynamic, and I think I take them over the Habs in a seven-game series, especially when you add in the other pieces the Jets have on offense. They have more talent than the Habs, straight up. It's just a fact. Their defense core isn't great, but again, I think that could sort of be neutralized by the play of Hellebuck. And then when you look at the Oilers, I think that series, Lapore would be more of a toss-up at Edmonton, Montreal because it's such a clash of styles that'd be an awesome series and it's watch, like yeah. do you think McDavid and Dreisaitl could just take over and I, I think it would be a really close like six or seven game series but I don't know what are your thoughts on that if you had to match up the Habs with with those two teams in a seven game series I would definitely pick the Jets over them and that's not a shit on Montreal that's a compliment to the Jets really like I think the Jets have what it takes to I might say make a run, but they have that talent, so they can beat you with that talent. Edmonton versus Montreal. That is a really tough one. Like, that one could go either way. Because, like, if if Montreal neutralized Edmonton as best as they could, I wouldn't be shocked. But then if McDavid just ran all over Montreal, I wouldn't be shocked either. So I hate to agree with you. But I would say like seven game series coin flip and it'd be amazing to watch. Like I'm not even going to take a side. I actually really do feel that way that that's how it would play out. I don't, I wouldn't have a dog in the fight, 
But what's going to be interesting to see is at the end of the season, because these teams are playing each other so many times, when we do see those standings is how they did against each other and versus certain teams. Like, for example, whoever finishes third versus fourth and gets to avoid, and I guess in any division we can say, whoever, we'll talk about this division, whoever can say avoid Toronto in the first round, finishing third or fourth, or even who falls right out between four and five. It's going to be interesting to see how those teams did, number one, versus each other. Because like 20% of the season is played against that team, like 15, 20% of the season. And then how they did against Ottawa and then how they did against Toronto. So again, talking points, it doesn't really matter. Each game has the same value, but it is going to be cool. It is going to be cool to see like, you know, to look at a team and say they got in because they were able to get points from Toronto or this team didn't get in because they lost points to Ottawa or head to head. Ooh, look, this team won seven out of the 10 games. That's why they're in. So again, it'll be fun. It'll be fun till the end. Oh yeah. Big time. That'll be interesting to see like, the teams that probably make the playoffs in the Canadian division are going to crush Ottawa, probably play well against Vancouver and then give the Leafs a run for their money. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see how that shakes out at the end of the season, because I think it's going to be a dog fight for those, you know, let's say final couple playoff spots in the Canadian. It's going to be awesome. What's going to be amazing too. And this is not getting enough attention is because these are series teams are playing each other multiple games in a row. So I haven't looked at it since the beginning of the year, but to see, for example, if teams are playing each other the last two or three games, and these are teams that could be battling for a spot. Like how awesome will that be if say, uh, I don't know, uh, Edmonton and Calgary are batting, battling for number four and they're playing each other the last three games. Oh, that would be incredible. Like, Like we're hoping for that, right? We're really hoping for that. And I guess, too, it's going to be so interesting to see what teams do at the deadline. Because, like, how far are teams going to be out of it, really? Especially if you can look ahead and say, okay, we're six six points out of it. But the team we're chasing, we're playing five more times. It's like, so we have a chance. So do they sit on that or they go for it? Again, it's going to be awesome to see and stuff we're going to talk about for a long time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's just such a unique year with the 56-game schedule, the Canadian division, it's, it's going to be an awesome season, and I can't wait to see how this playoff race shakes out. And Lepore, just kind of looking ahead to the next week of the season for the Toronto Maple Leafs, they got three games coming up. Monday, they're at home to the Flames. Wednesday, once again at home to the Flames. And then they have Connor McDavid and the Oilers on the road Saturday night. So okay. um, what are you looking forward to this week from the Leafs, and what are you hoping to see? What's very weird, Bruno is I caught myself last night on Twitter and knowing that, and I may eat my word still, that things were different in Leafland because the Flames got absolutely shit-kicked by the Oilers last night. Uh, McDavid put on a hell of a show. Like, what a player. Unreal. Never, I'm never going to get uh, tired of watching that kid. But someone fired out a tweet, and it was a Leafs account, saying, It'll be so like it'll be very ironic when Calgary beats Toronto twice next week, as bad as they've been playing. And I caught myself because typically I would have kind of nodded at that and been like, "Yeah, that's totally gonna happen," and this will be really typical. But I caught myself or noticed myself saying, "No," like I, I don't have doubt. I don't have those questions in the team right now. I'm not. I'm not saying they're guaranteed to be, beat the Calgary Flames both games, but. 
I would have been have that I would have had that insecurity in me in years past of we're gonna take this team too lightly. Everyone's shitting on this team, and it'll be headlines the day after the game when this team upsets Toronto and the Leafs are trash or the Leafs blow a lead. Whereas now I saw that tweet and I was just kind of like, no, bring it on. We're a good team. We're not afraid of we're not afraid of anyone. And as a fan, it's kind of nice not to have that like overwhelming anxiety pulse through my veins as it has being a Leaf fan my entire life, even when you play a weak opponent in a midweek game. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it there, Lapore. I think it's gotten to the point now where the doubt is slowly just creeping away. Where in the past, when you thought, you know, we brought this up earlier in the show, you thought that this team would crumble and they wouldn't be mentally tough enough to bounce back from a bad loss or they'll struggle with an inferior opponent. But I think it's gotten to the point now where Leafs Nation is so comfortable with how good this team actually is. That's a hot take or just craziness that use the word comfortable and Leafs nation in the same sentence. It's, it's insane. Honestly, insane. it's, it's kind of crazy to think about, but we've gotten to a point now where I think the Leafs have officially solidified themselves as one of the, I'm going to say it as one of the elite teams in the national hockey league. Yeah. And now moving forward, they just have to keep their foot on the gas. They have to keep, playing a good all-around game don't you know maybe they'll they'll lose another crazy game like they did blowing that 5-1 lead to ottawa but at this point lapore who cares yeah who cares because they've they have such a cushion right now they're playing so well they're playing with a ton of confidence they have two of the the best players in the world at the moment and and everything right now lapore is pretty good in leaf land yeah and, uh. <laughs> and there's nothing and there's nothing we can complain about. Hopefully at some point Lapore will have more to complain about because it'll probably make our show a little bit more interesting. Yeah, but, except for our uh, 11 million dollar captain and our 7 million dollar suite not producing. Yeah. For now for now we'll stick with those two guys. So sorry Tavares and Nylander. Yeah. We got to we got to talk like about something is. guys. Come on. All right, that is going to do it. For this episode of the Gluttons for Punishment podcast, thank you so much for listening and watching us on YouTube as well. If you haven't done so already, whether you listen to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, please go on there, give us a five-star review. And uh, yeah, that would be fantastic. We would really appreciate that. And then obviously on YouTube, if you are watching us for the first time, please go ahead, smash that like button, subscribe to the channel, and ring the notification bell so you know exactly when the GFP podcast is releasing some new content. So next week, the Leafs got the Flames twice, and then the Oilers should be an awesome week. But that is going to do it for the GFP podcast. For Michael Lapore. I'm Anthony Bruno, and we will see you guys next time. Have a good one, everybody. Oh,